Good morning, everybody. You guys awake? Yeah. Most of you, this guy's awake. That's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, welcome to Whitewater. This is one of my favorite Sundays. Some of you might think I always say that, but I don't, even though I said that last week, because you're a pastor. Last week was Easter. Easter should probably be one of the pastor's favorite Sundays, right? Celebrating the death and really the resurrection of Jesus. It was awesome, but uh, I see some new faces, and some of you guys might be here today to see friends or family members baptized, and it's one of my favorite Sundays because we're doing Baptism Sunday. It's, it's, the, it's the Sunday that like, shows inner transformation by publicly and externally identifying with Jesus, and I'm, I'm so thrilled about that. If, uh, if you haven't been baptized, I'm going to give an invitation an opportunity for you to be baptized today. We have people uh, that come to our church and part of their story is, man, I came uh, to church not expecting to, to meet God or be a Christian and all of a sudden now I am. Dang it. Most of them are a little bit more happy about it, but some people walk into Whitewater not expecting to get baptized and chica, we get you. We find a way to get you. Um, it's so good to be here. I probably don't say this enough, but uh, for myself and my wife, Sarah, um, we love this church. We love you guys. Um, we're so thankful for each and every one of you. Uh, even if you're new, it's your first week. We just, we love this church and I hope you'll find that this is a place that you can belong before you believe that you're loved as you are. Uh, not as you ought to be or wish you were, but you're loved as you are. Um, let me say a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for each and every soul that's in this building. They matter so much to you. They matter, matter eternally to you. And, uh, would you just bless them today? Would you encourage them? Would you help them take their steps of faith? Um, uh, Lord, wherever they're at um, in their life. Lord, if there's anybody here who's uh, discouraged, they're bearing burdens and weights on them that are, um, they're just weighing them down, Lord. Would you lift those up today? Would you lift those off of them? Would you, would you help them to see with eyes of hope? Would you help them hear a word of encouragement, a word that convicts them? a word that they can walk out with inspiration. And uh, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I've been attempting to eat more healthy. And I've been told that um, omelets can be healthy if done the right way. So I've been learning how to do omelets, crack the eggs. This was a few weeks ago, I cracked some eggs, mixed them up, um, threw it on the pan, then I grabbed some cheese, like a cheese packet out of the refrigerator and I sprinkled that all over the like all over a few layers all over the omelet and then I've uh, heard that like uh, this lettuce type of stuff chard have you guys heard of this it's supposed to be healthy tastes like death um, I'm trying to be healthy and uh, so I'm making this thing and I'm starving this this particular morning and so I I flip the omelet it's sizzling and you know I'm just waiting for the right gooey consistency Right, it can't be too gooey, can't be too like you know, like rigid, and and I've I get this perfect, and I flip it, I flip it again, and then boom, I pop it onto my plate, throw it on the on the table, grab a cup of water, sit down, and I start eating my omelet, and the first bite I take, I'm just like, I'm so hungry, I, I've almost swallowed it before chewing, and I'm just like, hum, and and then the flavor hits me, it was terrible. <laughs> It tasted so bad, and I didn't know why. And so I was like, I went, is there something wrong with the eggs? And I went and looked at the eggs, and all they're fine. And then I went and grabbed the back of cheese, and uh, I couldn't see it super well. So I held it up to the, you know, the light that you have in the hood of the, you know, the oven. 
I held it up to that light. And all of a sudden, it became really clear what was wrong. Um, cheese, the cheese I had in this bag, had a like line of mold and corruption going through it. Someone else at the last service like, well, cheese is mold. Yeah, but they call it cheese. You know, and you're like, it's, it's not supposed to have a line of mold through it on top of its already moldness. And it, I was like, what in the world? So I, I went back and looked at the omelet and sure enough, it, it, it was bad, you guys. It was brutal. Um, I just wanted to tell you guys that I don't really know why. Um, today we're picking up the scriptures in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and uh, a guy named Peter, who is one of the disciples, he's a guy who followed Jesus a lot, he is actually helping launch the church of Jesus Christ. He's launching this community of acceptance and belonging and love, this community of truth and high challenge, this community that's built around a cross, a Savior who died on a cross and who was raised back to life. And Peter is like the perfect example of a nobody becoming somebody in God's kingdom. He's failed time and time again. He's got like this foot in mouth disease. He's always putting his foot in his mouth, making like just ridiculous statements. He's failed Jesus time and time again. He actually betrayed Jesus. And Jesus just keeps restoring him. And then when it comes to the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, like Peter is like a new person and God's spirit's working through him in amazing ways. And he begins by this, by, by preaching this sermon to all these Jewish people, to the, to the children of Israel. Um, uh, and he preaches to them in Jerusalem when they're all gathered. And he, and he, and he, this is his sermon. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. He's saying, you guys saw the work of God through this man, Jesus. You saw heaven unleashed through Jesus and the radical, powerful, amazing things that he did that transformed person after person, healings after healings, forgiveness, life transformation. You saw what he did. You know it. I know it. And then verse 23 says, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, he was given to the world to save the world uh, according to God's plan. And he says, but you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Knowing that God was unleashing heaven through this man, you knowingly crucified him. You killed him. But God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. I love that. It says it was not possible for him to be held by death. He was, he was God's son. He was the perfect one. He was the only one who could die for the sins of the world and death could not hold him back. After preaching more about this, the response of the crowd is really interesting in verse 37 that says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what what should we do? So my question today is why were they pierced to the heart and what should they do? So why were why were they why did they have pain in their heart, like cut to the core um, about this 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 sermon, about this talk that, that Peter's giving to them? And I think that the, the first thing that we have to recognize here is this, that Peter is telling them the truth about themselves. 
He's telling them the truth that you, you were given the Son of God and you rejected Him. And not only did you reject Him and say, no, we don't want you, you killed Him and put Him on a cross. He's saying the best of the best, the Pharisees, the leaders of leaders in this culture, the ones who are supposed to have it all together, the ones who's like their job is to know God, His plan, and be able to like help other people follow it. They, they saw Jesus, God's answer to the, the sin and the evil and problems in the world, and He gives them this, this Savior, and their response was to kill Him. And maybe you and I, when we hear that, we might think, well, can you believe what they did? You know, can you believe how terrible of a decision that was? But Luke, the author of Acts and Luke, um, surprise, <laughs> he, he, what he's trying to say, and this is like a, a pattern for him, he's trying to say the best, the best that the world had to offer made the worst decision and did the wrong thing. What does that say about the rest of us who aren't as zealous and convicted and committed as someone like them, as religious as someone like them. What does that say about us? If the best of the best fail that test, surely we wouldn't be any better. And, and, and Luke is saying when you crucified him on the cross, that shined a light on the corruption of your souls. It's like holding a bag of cheese up to some light and seeing the rot within. When, when we come to the scriptures, we can be hearing someone else's story, like Mike was saying. We're hearing about these other people's story, but we can see ourselves as in a mirror sometimes when we look at these stories. When the truth is being told about who we are and what we are, we start to see all the pieces. We start to see the corruption, the rot, the twistedness, the brokenness in our soul. Friends, the cross of Jesus... When Jesus is put on that cross, the cross, it reveals the brokenness of humanity. It reveals our brokenness. It reveals that, that we who might think that we have it together, we might think where our life's good, we might kind of deny some of the issues that are going on in our life. It reveals that we have in some way, shape, or form found a way of rejecting God's heaven being brought into our life. There are, can, can we agree on this? There's areas of brokenness, areas of like corruption in our own lives, there's things that have been done or that we've participated in or through our lives that we have, that have shown that we've rejected God. The cross is just like the perfect, the spotlight of God saying, humanity, you have it so, so wrong. I heard, um, I want you to imagine like a plane flying through, um, you know, just a, a storm. And as it's flying through this storm, there's lightning and there's all these clouds and it can't see anything out of the windows. Somehow, in the clouds, it turns itself upside down. So when it's flying and as all of a sudden it's coming out of the clouds and it's coming out of the storm, all of a sudden there's a big mountain in front of it. What does the pilot do? Pull up. But what does that do? See, the cross is revealing. Luke is trying to help us who would read this story. He's trying to help us realize that like we all in the world are flying upside down. And when Jesus is sent to us, when heaven is sent to us, often we do the exact wrong thing. We reject it. We run from it. We fight it. We struggle with it. How many of you guys, if you were to look at your life and be like, yeah, man, I can, I can re, I remember in my life, I was flying upside down, and when I pulled up, <laughs> I was actually pulling down. 
this, this story is so revealing of who we are. But here's the, here's the reality. If the cross reveals the brokenness of humanity, the resurrection reveals the God who fixes our brokenness. The resurrection, Jesus is raised to new life. God is saying, you guys are broken, you guys reject me, you guys have been flying upside down, but I'm willing to fix it. I can fix it. I can write the plane. I can get rid of that nasty cheese. I can help the human condition, help your soul. So, the question they ask after they're pierced to the heart, realizing that the spotlight has been shown onto their hearts, that they've been flying upside down, they say, brothers, what should we do about it? What do we do? Have you ever been in a position like that in your life where you realize, man, the path I'm heading, the way I'm going, what I'm experiencing, like, what do I do? And here's Peter's response. I think this is the call to all of us sitting here today, you know, a week after Easter 2018. Peter replied, here's what you do. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized, get forgiveness for your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to talk with you guys about um, the rest of this talk is uh, repentance, uh, forgiveness, Holy Spirit, and baptism. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to be baptized. We just had a whole bunch of people baptized in the uh, in the first service. There was like half of them I didn't even know were going to be baptized. It was amazing. But what does baptism mean? Well, here, I want to go through that. So the first thing I want to talk to you guys about, you might want to take your notes out if you got them, is repentance. Repentance. What does repentance mean? A lot of people think of, like when they think of repentance, they think of like the guys with the signs, like like turn or burn, repent, the time is nigh. Have you guys seen those? Repentance sounds like this kind of, uh, I don't know, ancient, judgy, religious term. But the way Luke understands and is trying to teach us about repentance, repentance is the gift of turning. Repentance is the gift of turning. It's a gift. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the gift of, of realizing, uh, of God helping us see and realize that the path that we're on is wrong, that we're headed toward a cliff, that we're, we're, the path that we're on is already causing destruction in our life, and we're heading closer and closer and closer to the cliff. And there's going to be a drop. And, and the, the gift of repentance is the gift of being able to see where you're headed and realize, oh, I'm wrong, and turn. Now, how many of you guys like to admit you're wrong? Man, I hate admitting when I'm wrong on things, with, especially with my wife. Ask, ask her. You know, we'll be driving somewhere, and she's like, I don't think this is the right way. And I'm like, I will make this the right way. You know, I will, I will find, we will drive through this bog and this marsh, and it is the right way, you know, as the wheels are spinning. Um, it is hard for us to admit when we're wrong, but... If we can admit that we're wrong, if we can even see that we're wrong, because you first have to see that you're wrong to be able to admit that you're wrong. And some of us don't see until it's too late. We've got like a pattern in our life, like we don't see it until it's, well, like it's obvious we're wrong because we're falling off the cliff already. There's this point where when we can admit we're wrong, there is like this holy, wonderful relief. Let me just ask, is there anybody here who's experienced what I'm talking about where you it was revealed you were wrong and where your head was really wrong. It was, it was going to be dangerous, maybe even destructive to your life and others' lives. And you were able to say, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And it felt so good. 
Some of us hate admitting we're wrong. But if you're really wrong and you're really headed toward destruction and someone who loves you says, hey, you need to stop going that way and you see it, you're thankful, you're relieved. Going, you know, keeping headed in the wrong direction and living a life of anti-repentance, it's just continually going bullheaded in the wrong direction over and over. It's like powering through that nasty omelet. You're just powering through, oh, I'm just going to eat this thing. It's like, just stop, repent, and turn. Some of us have, are, are living our lives where, where God is saying, repent, turn, turn to me. In Acts 3.26, it says, When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. He blesses us by turning us. This is God's act in our lives. Uh, the, the action of repentance. In Acts 5.31, it says, God exalted the man, uh, this man to his right hand as ruler and savior. He's talking about Jesus. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. It's a gift. A lot of times we think of repentance as just like on us. Like it's me, me realizing and me turning. No, it's a gift given by God. It's God's action to reveal and empower you to turn. Um, again, it says in uh, Luke 11, uh, 18, or it, it says, uh, when he heard this, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life to the Gentiles. It's Acts, excuse me, chapter 11. God has given repentance. It's a gift. Are there any areas in your life where you're needing to turn and receive the gift of repentance? Number two, forgiveness. Number two is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the gift of releasing. Forgiveness is the gift of releasing. In the, in the book of Luke, uh, the author Luke has a unique way of looking at forgiveness. He sees forgiveness as a releasing. Uh, as in like, we, we've, we've built up on this path away from God and doing our own thing and headed toward a cliff and destruction. On the way, we've built up these, these uh, sins and brokenness and we've got like just stuff in our life that we've attached ourselves to. Where it's almost like debt. Like you, if you, how many of you guys have really bad debt? You don't have to raise your hand. I've had bad debt before, but it's okay. Like we can be, we can admit. Yeah, there's a few people that are like, I did it. Ooh, that did feel good. I was wrong then. I feel, I feel the the holy relief he was talking about. Okay, if you've ever had it, and come on, most of you guys have had it. Some debt that's just like, oh, it's like crushing, and you're tied to it. Uh, if, if, what would it be like to just have that, have, like that that tie to that debt just completely severed, and you don't have to owe a thing? What would that have felt like? You know, I have a friend in California. He lost everything, lost his home, lost everything in that in the downturn about 2007, 2008, and uh, he, you know hasn't been able to get his own home and all that stuff through it. And he had some friends who were like, "Hey, two friends in particular were like, hey, we want to uh, get a home, and you can just." You can pay us and we'll be the bank for you. He's like, really? Okay. So they got him this home and he was, he started paying him, writing some checks. And then he got a call and, and, uh, they had talked together and, and one of them was like, Hey, we just want to let you know, uh, we feel like God's just saying that we should just give you the house. So don't worry about payments. And they sent him back all his checks. Some of you guys are like, where do you get these kinds of friends? I need those friends. He totally had all his debt, all that he owed, totally like slashed, totally cut from him. He was released from his debt. So, um, some of us, when we think of, of, of sin, um, I think there's a reality that there's like this image of being a prisoner to it, being chained 
being um, confined by sin, by wrongness, by uh, the corruption in our own hearts and in the world we live in. And, and forgiveness for Luke is releasing us from that. Just the blessed release. There's like oh, the weight and debt of sin. And some of us have been tied to sins in our life. You've walked into this church and you feel guilty even being in this church. You're surprised the building hasn't caught on fire since you're in here. And, and, and you're, you feel like you're being weighed down. Like these sins and these things are, are attached to you, pulling you like, like almost like weights or millstones that are dragging you to the bottom of the ocean. You can't keep up because they're so heavy. And, and the reality is when we ask Jesus into our life, because of the cross that reveals our sin and takes on our sin and the resurrection that says, I'm going to fix it, God slashes and releases us from those sins. Amen? You don't have to be a Christian to say amen to that. If that's true, that's amazing, right? And we can't do it on our own. This is God's power in our life. Number three, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the the Holy Spirit is the gift of God's power and presence. It's the gift of God's power and presence. The the reality is all of us who are separated from God and don't know God and haven't been connected to God, haven't given our lives to him. We're in a, we're in a state of separation. We don't, we, we don't even know what we don't know sometimes. We're flying this plane upside down and don't know it yet in, a, in many ways. Maybe you're starting to come to know that. But when we're disconnected from God, that's like a light bulb being disconnected from the power source. We, we, we don't have power. We're, we're not energized. We're not animated. We can't see the things God wants us to see. We're blind. And God gives us his spirit. To bring his power and presence into our life when we receive Christ. When we receive forgiveness. When we repent. When we turn to God. One of the gifts he gives us is his spirit. And I, you know, I don't know a lot. All, all I can know is by what I read, like many of you or some of you when you read the Bible. Is that like the spirit is like God's power. Like it's his, his, his spirit. It's the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, and it guides and it leads. And the Holy Spirit, he, he convicts us. And he like, if, if, if you've received God into your life and you've, you've repented and you've had a a moment where you've become a Christian, uh, there's this reality that the spirit of God will hound you down. If you start, if you stop walking the right way and you start heading toward the cliff again or you're doing destructive things the spirit will come and convict you it'll like you know more than your conscience it will like bring people into your path and bring situations where it's trying to dissuade you from the foolish way that you're on helping you realize that you're wrong right uh the spirit will help um guide you uh into other people that need god's love the spirit is like god's energy his force his person on the planet when jesus went back to be with his father and he was saying to his disciples i'm going to to heaven to prepare a place for you uh you know he said don't be sad because i'm sending you something so amazing you won't even realize how amazing it is until you do and it was the spirit and God's Spirit is wanting to flood this world with His goodness. And we are given God's Spirit. Here's how amazing it is. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from death. That seems like you have to have a lot of power to do something like that. So the Creator, who created everything, and then we caused death to enter the world, um, is recreating the world. Can we agree if God created the heavens and the earth, then He can recreate this broken world, right? Right? 
He does that by his spirit. The same spirit that was in Jesus, raising him from the dead, is the same spirit that is put into your heart and my heart when we receive Christ. How incredible is that? You and I have God's spirit in us. Sometimes I think we forget that. We don't walk in that. And, and today is a reminder, it's a call to remember or know for maybe the first time that God's Spirit is given to those who repent and receive forgiveness and follow Jesus. The um, fourth thing, last thing I want to talk to you guys about is baptism. Baptism. Baptism is the gift of cleansing. It's the gift of cleansing. The, one of the major problems that, that in the book of Luke uh, is hit over and over as we live in this world. We're like immersed in this world, baptized in this world of sin and evil and heartache and hurt and pain. We don't have to look far beyond our phones, right? Like our smartphones to see that we are immersed in a broken world. Like, like it, we're swimming in this a pollution and almost don't know it because it's the, it's the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe. We are so immersed in it, we don't even realize it. And back Baptism is not, it's the symbol and it's the power of God to cleanse us. It's saying, when we're baptized, it's saying, God, would you take me from the polluted world that I'm immersed in, that I've been baptized in, and would you immerse me and baptize me in the God life? Would you change me? Would you transform me? So there's this reality of cleansing that happens in baptism, and there's also this reality of like, of change, that there's this like fundamental change to our being when we're baptized. My um, father-in-law got on this really big kick. He decided uh, he really likes olives. He likes olives and certain drinks. His favorite drink, he likes olives. And his favorite food always has olives. So he decided at one point when my wife was growing up that he was going to become an olive master. And so he started, he, like one day my wife came home from high school and her dad had taken up over the whole house and they had all these jars with like lye and um, you know, other chemicals were all over outside the house and inside the house on every countertop. And, uh, he had just taken over. She's like, he was, he just, we thought he'd gone mad. We thought my, oh, he's gone. You know, he's been a pastor too long. Her dad was a pastor too. You know, his, his church is driven, driven crazy. Like he's, it's not the Holy Spirit. And he, uh, he was taking all these olives, like these hard, you know, uh, olives and he was refining, he was putting them through a process where it changed them fundamentally. And when he put them in the lye, and he, all these olives were just floating in these chemicals. And they'd have to float and be immersed and baptized in these chemicals uh, for a certain amount of time. And then afterward, the olives that he loved, the olives that he loved for his favorite drink, the olives that he loved for um, his favorite food were there. I mean, he made I mean, so many olives, they had them for years. They had these things for years and they had to be baptized because it was like this transformation that changed who they were, changed what they were. God loves people. He loves us, but he needs us to go through a, a, a change process, a change where, where, and it's him doing the work where he, like Stan, like my father-in-law, he was doing the work on the olives, like God is doing this work on us because he loves to use us. He loves to, he lo- like Stan loved in his favorite drink and his favorite food. God loves to use us in, with our lives where we're at, but, but there's this process of being baptized 
where we're given the spirit, where we're forgiven, where we repent, and we see things differently. We're a changed new human. It's like the like baptism is like also symbolic of dying to our old sins, dying to the old corrupt life, and being immersed in God's new life and coming out to resurrection. Isn't that amazing? That God would love the world so much, a world that had turned from him time and time again, that he would still pursue them and create a way so that we could be transformed, that we could be new. Like inward, we could be, we could be cleansed. I just think that's unbelievable. There's people in my life that like have, have had habitual sins and you know, I, my goal was to be there for them and to help them. But there were times where I'm just like, okay, I'm ready to give up, God. God never gives up on us. Isn't that unbelievable? God never gives up. You sitting here today, God never gives up on you. He never gives up on you. Over and over and over, he will pursue you and pursue you. And when you're finally ready to turn, when you're finally ready to be forgiven and released, when you're finally ready to have God's spirit of power and have a life, not of powerlessness and hopelessness and victimhood, but a life full of power and full of God's presence, when you're ready for that, he, he, you, you can be baptized into his love. Amen? So that's my invitation for you today. And I want to make two observations and then talk about the response. One observation is all four of these gifts, uh, repentance, which is the gift of turning, forgiveness, which is the gift of releasing, the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of God's presence and His power, and baptism, which is the, 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 the gift of God's cleansing. All four of these gifts, God initiates. They're God-given. Repentance isn't just us doing this, you know, realizing that we're wrong. It, it happens because God initiated it and enabled it. It's his thing. But our response is necessary. We have to respond to God. We're responsible to respond to him. If it wasn't the case, if, we, if it, our response wasn't necessary for all these things that are God's gift and his work that we receive, but if our response wasn't necessary, then we wouldn't even need this book of the Bible. We wouldn't need to be discussing this right now. It'd be like a programmer coming to a, like a, a, a software programmer programming a software programming the computer and reprogramming it that's all it would be but we're not like you know machines we're we're not like automaton automatons that just uh do things that are enacted on us we have choices we have some freedoms and god created us to respond to him the question is will we respond to him when his spirit is is pressing in on our hearts, when God is calling us, will we respond to him? The other thing I wanted to mention before inviting you for baptism is that all four of these areas of repentance and forgiveness and uh, the Holy Spirit and the gift of baptism, all four of these areas we, we receive like the, uh, an eternal once and forever repentance. Like you repent to God once and you, and you are forgiven uh, once eternally and you, you are given God's spirit eternally. Like that's, that's something we've been given. It can't be taken away. You can't do anything that would pull you away from that kind of love from God. Yeah? But there's also this reality that while we've been given these eternal realities that can't be taken from us, we also live in this polluted, sick world of brokenness and we have to learn to live a life of daily repentance, of daily turning back to God, of daily receiving forgiveness, of daily being filled with the Spirit. A life 
lived in these things. A life of, of cleansing of the baptism of God. Does that make sense? Uh, it's no better illustrated than when uh, Peter, uh, in one of those moments where he puts his foot in his mouth, he says to Jesus, you know, he's like, if you need to wash this, wash my, all of me, wash my whole body. This is when they're in the upper room and uh, some of you guys know the story and, and he says, wash my whole body and Jesus is like, no, I don't, I don't need to wash your whole body, Peter. It's kind of gross. I'm just going to wash your feet because your feet are dirty. He's been, he'd been baptized in the sense that he'd been, he's saved. He's with God. He's, he knows God. But, but he walked daily in the dirt and his feet would need cleansing. And so there's this reality that like we are eternally gods when we give our life to him. But we also have to live a life of asking for forgiveness, of repenting and turning to him and receiving the spirit and being filled by it. I wonder if us today who might watch the baptisms happening might, maybe this is a good reminder for us to daily seek that, that forgiveness, daily seek that God life. Maybe some of us here need to repent. Maybe some of us need forgiveness and to be released from some sins. And maybe some of us need to be filled anew with the Spirit of God. So here's the response. It says this in verse 40, with many other words, Peter testified strongly, urging them, saying, be saved from this corrupt, twisted, upside down generation that's flying upside down, that's got corruption in it, that's messed up, it's polluted. Be saved from this world, from this generation. And it says in 41, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. That day, 3,000 people got up and were baptized. It's so easy in our culture to, like, I, I don't know why it is, but in Christian culture, like, once you give your life to Christ and, and, and inwardly say, God, I repent and I turn to you, to, like, think, you know, I shouldn't get baptized for a while because I really got to clean my life up. Or, like, man, if people saw that, they'd expect, you know, way more of me or I'd have to be perfect if I got baptized. Like, we, we kind of convince ourselves not to do spiritual things that are actually things God gives us and wants for us because... I don't know, like these other pressures come from somewhere else. I don't think they're from God. You don't, you, these people repented, received forgiveness in the Spirit, and were baptized that same day. That same day. If, if you've never been baptized, maybe today's your day. Um, the religious leaders helped lead the people in crucifying Jesus and rejecting God's plan. It's really interesting to me that these, it doesn't list the names of all these people, but I'm, I'm sure there are some pretty big nobodies and sinners that decided to step up and get baptized, and they led people in doing the right thing. In the earlier service, this little, little boy named Jeremiah, he told his teacher, he's like, I really want to get baptized. Uh, I think he's about nine or ten, and he's like, I want, I'm ready to get baptized. And so they went and got his parents and let them know, and they were like, they've, they've been following Christ for a while, and they were like, if he's ready to get baptized, then why, why would we be afraid to be baptized? And so the, the, their family got baptized this morning. Wasn't planning on it, didn't know it. The faith of a child, the faith of one person can help other people live into the story of God. Is that you today? Are you ready for baptism? How many of you guys have been baptized before? You mind putting your hands up? Praise God. And there's, there's, a, there's something that happens when we declare our faith publicly. It's putting on the Jesus jersey, saying, this is my team. If Jesus wasn't afraid to publicly declare his love for me, why would I be afraid to de- publicly declare my love and loyalty to him? So, don't let anything keep you from being baptized. 
Even if you know, you're like, I don't have the clothes. We got some clothes. We got some nice little shorts for you. We got some bigger ones. We got a nice shirt for you. Um, they're right in this back room. We got a shirt for you. You can, you can wear the shirt. Uh, we got tiny little sandals for you to wear. They're very cute. And then we even have, this is actually really good makeup remover. Um, I'm going to be using this later, but it's really great stuff. Um, we just want to remove any barrier that would keep you from saying yes to Jesus and taking that next step on your journey. And if baptism, if, if today's your day and you weren't even planning on it, it's your day. Let's get baptized. Let's pray together. Um, and if you've never received Christ in, in your life, you've never repented and, and asked for forgiveness, um, maybe today's your day to do that and be baptized. So if you would, pray this prayer with me if you've never received Christ into your life. Heavenly Father, I repent and turn to you. Heavenly Father, I ask for forgiveness and release of my sins. Heavenly Father, would you give me your spirit, your power, your presence to guide my life. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross to take my sins away and to give me new life and life eternal. I give my life to you the best I know how. In Jesus' name, amen.